Come on in, sit back and relax. Welcome to episode 177 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. This episode is part of our ongoing series focused on international wealth tech, and I was able to entice my friend and global fintech influencer, Urs Bolt, to come back onto the podcast. He was last with us in February 2020, back in episode 39. My, that was a long time ago. Quick overview of Urs. Uh, he has 30 plus years of experience in wealth management, investment banking, and related technology businesses. His core expertise is developing and rolling out new digital business platforms. His current focus is to help financial service providers and tech companies to review business strategies, advise on strategic projects, develop solutions in markets, and build business partnerships. Urs is an active speaker, moderator, blogger, and author. I can vouch for all of those. He's recognized as a global opinion leader influencer in wealth management, fintech, wealth tech, and digital assets. Uh, you can follow him uh, at Ursbolt. It's U-R-S-B-O-L-T on Twitter. You can also find him on LinkedIn. And Urs recently changed roles and is now the new business lead for Alpian, which is a fintech provider of accessible investment and private banking services through their hassle-free mobile app. And if you are an executive of a wealth tech firm that's selling software to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, TAMPs, or others, then you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Get In Touch form on our homepage. Our industry experts can deliver a wide range of advice, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights, and strategic advice, client buying decisions, integrated development services, and more. Every vendor needs these things to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get your firm on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. All right, that's the shameless plug for this episode. And now a quick housekeeping note before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's kick this thing off. I am happy to introduce our next guest. It is Urs Bolt who is a wealth tech expert, influencer, man about town, man for all seasons. Uh, from uh, He's based in Switzerland, and he's uh, graciously uh, honored us with his presence. Urs, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. Great to be back. I think it was like three years ago when I was last on the program, pretty much early the year two. Something like that. Yeah, it was. I have to go back and check the episode number. But um, anyone, if you're on our website, wealthtech, uh, today.com, you can search for Urza's previous episode if you want to catch up on on uh, on the great uh, uh, things Urza has to say. So um, thanks for, for being here again. Can you please give uh, people who don't know you the uh, a quick 30 to 60 second overview of yourself? Sure. I'm probably uh, by the age already a veteran in the industry more than 35 years experience in banking, investment banking, private banking as well. So I started when I was young as a as a trader, junior trader in FX currencies, also traded rate swaps, then got into the technology um, sector, always um, regarding banking technology, risk management, data integration for risk management, integrating of... Um, portfolio management system, regulatory reporting. So that was like mid-90s until early 2000s when client-server architectures uh, became 
dominant for all the applications around the core systems. 2003, I got back into banking at UBS, investment banking in the post-trade area. Um, since then, I was actually often in uh, rolling out platform, business platforms, always with technology attached to it, of course. And recently, I've now two and a, two and a half years with a company called TINM out of Switzerland. But I will start a new role and back into banking again with a new digital private bank. Uh, you can follow me from 1st of February and we'll see it on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I'm happy to be back and basically covering the more like a digital business native kind of digital wealth manager, digital private banker with um, a diverse background. But um, uh, recent years could build up my name also being an opinion leader in wealth management, digital wealth management and wealth tech. That's how we got to know each other. I was just trying to remember when we met, but we met over Twitter, uh, on Twitter. For sure. Uh, I was, Absolutely. I was always impressed with the stuff you post and still impressed. Um, uh, and love some of the things you post and some of the things you share. Uh, you, you do share a wide range of, of information. Uh, of course, not only, not only about wealth management, but, uh, but about payments and, um, and also uh, uh, different technologies, uh, financial technologies, digital banking, and, and other things around Europe. Uh, you do post some things in German, so I, do, I have to bleep over those. My German is not good enough to read the, the tweets in German, but more than enough uh, tweets in English to, to go to go from. If you want to follow Urs on Twitter, it's at Urzbolt, U-R-S-B-O-L-T. Now, uh, the reason you're on the program, not just because I think you're a great guy and love your stuff, but you just put out an article uh, January 12th called Predictions for the Wealth Management Sector 2023. And I want to go through some of these, uh, the areas that you believe are, are predictions that are going to change uh, wealth management, technology, um, and things we want to talk about. So let's just go through this and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this article so you guys can read it for yourself. First one you have here is the rise of alternative asset classes and private markets. Why is that on your list of, of uh, predictions for wealth management? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the recent years, uh, obviously there was um, a lot of pressure on the market, especially last year. And um, you also see some uh, asset manager, almost all of them, driving um, private market assets, means uh, private equity, also private debt, but also exotic alternative assets in luxury um, investments, for instance. And there's clearly a trend towards these long-term uh, holdings and to diversify your portfolios away from the listed equities and strategies which you already all have in where you where every one of us is literally invested in whether whether we are uh, invest via pension fund our private portfolios or ultra rich in uh, uh, widely diversified portfolios so I see that is clearly something coming and I also see that um, the the access which is given now also to a wider audience. So before it was always like you needed to buy half a million dollars in the round. So it was only possible for uh, upper high net worth individual segment or ultra high net worths. And now 
that um, investment threshold uh, came down massively, almost by a factor of 10, depending who you look at. And this is made possible by the expansion of financial technology going into the investment area. So everything started with fintech, went to trading like Robinhood, etc. And now it's also going into investments where you have long-term investments where the life cycle events really go 10 years and beyond. So this is definitely a trend which we can see. We do get a lot of inbound um, requests from firms. So half of our clients at Ezra Group are wealth tech firms, broker-dealers, uh, large RIAs, RIA aggregators, the banks and such. But half our clients are software companies and also these markets. We're getting a lot of inbound uh, calls from new markets coming up, whether they're alternatives. And you mentioned exotic assets are, you know, we call the, you know, um, you know, fixed assets or, um, you know, not liquid assets, illiquid art, luxury items and things, but, you know, yachts, you know, they want to do a marketplace to monetize or tokenize different assets. Do you see that really taking off? Is that just a fad or is that something that, that will become mainstream? Yeah, I think therefore the more exotic side of it, liquidity will always be sort of an issue. But the interesting thing is you, you really get access now via these platforms to almost anything. But they're not one, there's not one marketplace where you basically just to say, I'm on this category, this category, and put together a range of alternative assets, maybe even mix in a total portfolio with traditional assets or listed equities, for instance, or bonds. But you have access now. So I think the complexity will come now, how to manage a wider range of assets, especially when you're a family office or... Um, yeah, or an independent wealth advisor which wants to give access to a wide range of um, alternative um, assets. Indeed. Yeah, it's, it just seems like something that's really taking off uh, in different ways because of, as you mentioned, the different the technology is making it easier to uh, bring these assets to market, to manage them, to, 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 uh, to price them. Um, I know many years ago I worked for um, a company. I did a project for a company. Came to us. They had this these um, uh, an online, not a marketplace, but uh, software that was allowed uh, very wealthy clients to track their collections of handbags or jewelry or cars or other things. And it was very detailed. And no, there's no application uh, in our industry that that does that because we're all about investments. What what ETF stocks, mutual funds do you have? Maybe alternatives like private equity, but no one tracks these types of physical assets and he had a very sophisticated technology for that. And you could up and, you, and it was, it was designed for all these different, you know, he must've had 50 different types of collectibles with all the fields you would need. And I don't even remember you know, the, 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 you know, the different names of, you know, of course the names, the manufacturers and all the different, you know, ways to judge them and, and rate them, how valuable they are. And then he had a way for pricing experts to come into the platform with, with specific IDs and roles, say, okay, you can only, you can price these particular items that you are an expert in. You can't delete or change things, just you can just update the pricing because there's no feeds for a handbag or for a Rolex watch. Are you you're seeing that? Those are like oracles in the um, in the crypto world. Will you see that? Exactly. Well? Not really. That's new. What you told me is very interesting because it adds to the picture and the uh, 
the perception I have. So you will have you have more and more access to such information and data streams, and that could then also allow to create like almost an index in specific segments. So you can actually uh, almost apply direct indexing um, approach and then uh, create the product out of this. So this is again an opportunity for, um, let's say alternative uh, investment uh, managers, which can then put together, um, you know, like fractional shares of such an index, which then they have to create obviously then the, the underlying portfolio to it. So that will ultimately again lead to the way that um, people which are more in the affluent or even in the retail investment segment get access to investable products without actually doing the the whole hassle to get into each of such products. And they sometimes might only be able to buy a, a fraction of it or 20%, but you cannot buy 20% of uh, a very exclusive Louis Vuitton bag or whatever, or Hermes or whatever it is, right? Or a Rolex watch or Breitling, mm -hmm. whatever the luxury asset might be. The next topic you mentioned in your article is new investment strategies and mass personalization supported by AI. I don't like the word personalization. Well, I do like the word personalization. I don't like how it's being used. I never, I haven't seen mass personalization, but hyper-personalization is a very common buzzword that I think is overused. But how are you using these terms and, and what do you see AI doing around wealth management? I mean, the recent years we saw that obviously the values play a bigger role now for investors, especially when it comes to younger generation. They want to be um, environmental friendly following some ESG criteria. Others have maybe ex want to exclude some assets which they don't like. And to make this, um, you know, like your personal investment strategy with all the, the different criteria you have, you really need a new approach. You cannot you cannot do it the, the, with, in the old way. Either it's too expensive, too manual, or it's not, uh, and then it's not not accessible for lower uh, investment amounts, and that's why I think the the mass personalization is really that each of us could be on the platform, type in the criteria. It could also be a via human, of course, but you basically need this technology platform which reflects that and provides you with um, risk and um, expected return. Um, strategic and tactical asset allocation and then needs to be automated through to the execution and this is becoming possible with um, direct indexing solutions the different approaches but now the more advanced ones they really use the machine learning or in a broader term artificial intelligence to actually allow to create such portfolios in, in almost real time, which is almost impossible when you do it even half automated. It's not possible with human interaction. That's why the mass personalization is more that you are able to scale such an approach to a much wider um, customer base than we were used to before. And that's that's exciting because it goes, it lowers the threshold. It gives access to more customers who have the same values, but maybe one magnitude less to invest in. 
and cloud computing, you know, such technologies are very key as well that you can offer this as a vendor, as a service provider. And you basically have the, the wealth advisors, wealth managers paying a fee per transaction, portfolio, assets, whatever. So pricing's, pricing can also be much more flexible than it was before when you needed to implement such a solution on your own service. One of the areas that I see AI helping out, I, I, wrote, I wrote about this in my blog a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, was in you mentioned risk and risk tolerance and risk assessment, which feeds into your model. So knowing the client's risk um, will then decide what model to put in, which is often automated. Usually firms will have five models and the clients go through the risk assessment questionnaire. It gives them a score, which puts them into a bucket, which assigns them a model. So it's pretty straightforward. But I found with my study of psychology that once you start asking questions to someone about things they don't really understand, like what their risk is, most, I mean, we live it, we do it every day. This is what we've been doing for a long time. We understand those questions, but a person off the street, maybe they're an accountant, maybe they're a lawyer, maybe they're a doctor, maybe they're an engineer, who knows what they are. They're a nurse. Um, they don't think about risk and what that means. They're, they're seeing these questions for the first time and trying to understand well, what what do I feel like I can lose? I don't know. What's what what are these trade-offs? No matter how many things you give them, that's still they're not still not going to really understand what those trade-offs are necessarily, or know what how they actually would react in a market downturn. That's really what everyone wants to know. It's not the no one is worried about how their clients are going to react if the market doubles. They're worried if the clients how they're going to react if the market gets cut by fifty percent. And I think AI is a great tool which will start taking over risk tolerance and risk assessment questionnaires by saying, well, give me your name and your social or your social media links. And it's going to run through all their social media posts and then they'll give me all of your transactions, me other, me other advisor, all the transactions that were made and they'll see how they actually responded or how, what their sentiment is. And that'll be a much better indicator of what their actual risk tolerance is than asking them the questions and having them respond, you know, uh, consciously respond. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was thinking around this. I, I was even a mentor or yeah, a startup mentor, one of the startups who wanted to actually access Facebook data, but it was at the end not possible because Facebook didn't allow you access. Mm -hmm. So that it's very closed. And I think especially in Europe, um, but also increasingly so in the States that uh, data privacy law, et cetera, makes it diff difficult accessing social data. But I believe that you can really make it a better user experience by taking into account your portfolio, then uh, run simulations in near time, real time, extremely fast, and just really show you the impact. What would happen if that scenario is the case, or in and and it reflects that you're based in Switzerland or you're based in the U in the US, also with currency fluctuations, etc., and just make it much more tangible that people really understand. Okay, if that would happen to me, I think I need to take less risk. I should maybe reduce the 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 equity share of my portfolio, or I could even take in something else. Possibly uh, some Bitcoin, some crypto, even the liquid part, at least in the crypto space. And it would actually diversify your portfolio, especially when you see now equity market still under pressure. Bitcoin recovered again. We don't know how it's going to end up, but obviously some people are again more positive about it. But this and on a dynamic level that you actually get a trigger on an ongoing way 
doing this automation via AI is definitely helpful for each of us, whether you're a small in, a small investor or a family office with a large portfolio. The next area you, you have in your trends article is customer centricity, digital private banking and neo private banks. So I don't want to talk about them as much as how they relate to wealth. So I'm I'm much more um, interested and I've been pushing for many years, the, the holistic view of wealth where advisors don't just look at assets, but look at liabilities, look at budgeting, or look at other assets, look at insurance. Because if you don't see all those things, you don't really see a full picture of your client's financial lives. How, would, how will banking integrate with wealth? Will we see more of that going forward? More advisors are going to be integrated with the banking products or, or expenses or checking accounts and check credit cards, pulling in all that information. I mean, one, one, why, why I see that as um, becoming more of a reality is because you have new players now. Uh, the incumbents, they don't seem to be especially good to offer such solutions. At least that's my perception here, even though some some banks work on this. But to see a, a, to have a complete view of your assets, liabilities, of your future cash flows, etc., uh, there are now uh, startups out there. They have either solutions which can help incumbents or even... Um, uh, new players, and on the other side, I see I see neo private banks which really don't have a legacy culture behind. They can really build it afresh, and they can really focus on the customer. That's also the only way, actually, to to gain enough customers because you need to really differentiate yourself. Which, as an incumbent, when you already run a successful business in wealth management, is maybe less pressure. So this uh, whole customer centricity goes along with new players coming into market, but also with new wealth techs, which offer this holistic view. So there's a number of it, and I follow some of them in Switzerland, uh, one in Sweden, uh, and others. And I see, I see that's now becoming more and more of a need for customers, especially now in this um in these challenging times we have now with recessionary tendencies, with interest rates coming back uh, clearly above positive than the inflation rate, etc. So there's a lot of change and people realize they might need to change their behavior and their investment strategies, tactics to plan long-term for their retirement savings. There, there's so much that can be done and, and so many uh, tools and so much more advice that can be provided um, when you're combining different assets, looking at the client's full picture. Um, but it's also better for compliance. The more you know about the client's financial life, the better. We we had a, um, someone on the program a couple, uh, I think just last week, uh, called Tax Status, where they, with the client's permission, of course, could download all of their history from the IRS. And now well, that seem, might seem a little creepy, and but the, the issue is that not that um, you want to learn more about the client to uh, than they want to share with you, but that a lot of times clients don't necessarily remember all the things that they have, all the contributions that they made, all the jobs they may have had, all the income they may have received, all the deductions they may have taken. And rather than having to upload uh, uh, the 1040 statements, their their tax returns, and then scan them. Just download directly from the IRS. So that's where we're going. Where where advisors will could have 
everything about a client's tax situation, which would help in onboarding tremendously. You just know, you wouldn't have to keep asking all these questions and annoying the client. I'll just download everything and I'll have it. And I'll just work it. And you don't, you can go about your business, Mr. Klein, and you live your life, not spend a couple hours answering my questions. So do you see that? Uh, will, that will that possibly happen in, in any European countries as well? It should. We have like open data initiative from our government too. And I'm just wondering, does the IRS then provide an API so that, let's say, third-party vendors um, can allow their customers to download this automatically? Because that's one trend I see. I believe strongly that people like you and me, or almost anyone, professional wealth advisors or financial advisors, that their customers would be happy to do so, even in a self-service, you know, via the platform. And then once they have this overview, talk with an advisor and go through where can they optimize their uh, financial situation. And I think that's a great way to use the tax data. Yeah, I think it, it should be well. possible, hopefully, in a, in. A, um, I don't know what the current state is here in Switzerland, if you can do that, because I'm not familiar with as a tax advisor, but uh, I'm certainly going to have a look at this too, but because um, they, they, that's also service to the citizen to allow that to use your own data for your own purpose when you already make the big hassle to enter them all, all in the tax database. Oh, definitely. It's a huge, I was very bullish on it. Uh, very excited when I, when I met this, the founder of the company last week and, and was talking about it. Uh, it, it. It could be a, a game changer. But another area I wanted to talk about, and we're, we're running out of time, that was quick, um, integrated data and analytics. Having more data, whether it's banking data, credit card data, um, insurance data, other types of financial data, will help with analytics and help understand mm -hmm. clients. And that's where the AI can come in because some advisors are, are, are empathetic there, they're very quick. They have a photographic memory. Uh, they can review data and come up with ideas or understand their clients. But I think most advisors maybe don't, don't have the time. And that's where the AI comes in that it can review all this data and provide next best actions, get provide advice to the advisor. What Who should you talk to next? And one of our clients we work with was a company called Catchlight. And they reviewed all their technology, AI-based technology, would review your, your pipeline, an advisor's pipeline of leads, and then do all this this analysis and look on public sources, and maybe some private sources to come back with the uh, a financial life complexity score. Their, their theory is the more complex a client, a prospective client's financial situation, the more likely they are to work with a financial advisor. So they score Absolutely the agree. Prospect. Yep. And that's, that's what, what I see. This is like a hybrid advisory experience. The customer might see just you and me, but he has already uh, prepared the data and he goes through his whole client portfolio. And then it, it will even learn from the whole customer base, possibly even beyond if you use a cloud-based service in an anonymized uh, way, if I can spell it right. And that, that, that could really increase the service quality massively. One challenge I see is that the traditional wealth advisors, they're really very conservative. But maybe one reason is also they don't have access to such tools. I mean, imagine you you, you become a, an advisor yourself and you have all these tools available. You and me we would love that. And I, I see that's why that there's a huge potential for wealth tech 
going this direction, data-driven. I call it rather like data-driven bank, call it data-driven uh, wealth and financial advice. And and it is, it is clearly um, the trend. And you need the data first. You need to integrate them. You need to have them in a homogeneous way. And then you can apply machine learning and other algorithms. You can also use whatever chat GPT, like a conversational uh, natural language processing approach, which helps you to communicate also more accurate with all the, the small print as well. I mean, when you try it out, you're really astonished what's coming out. You, it might not be rocket science, but that's what we don't, we don't need that. With financial management, you know, you don't want to be a complete outlier. But you need, you need a much higher level of quality for standard advice. I think that will really lift um, the the quality and also then the financial, let's call it wellness of each customer. So the last topic I wanted to cover uh, in your article uh, for trends for 2023 in wealth management is outsourcing wealth as a service. So I think I know what that means, but can you explain what what you think? What, what do you mean by wealth as a service outsourcing? It goes exactly what I said before. You you have more and more such analytics and data ready to use for uh, advice for uh, financial plans, investment strategies, also funding, and such services will be more and more available via the cloud. So you basically can outsource that part of it and consume it as a service and you pay then uh, per each client portfolio or it's 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 very, um, let's say, demand-driven. The other part of the outsourcing is especially for the, let's say, family offices, independent wealth managers, for instance, chief investment officer services. You see now an environment, it's very demanding now, the macro level very complex. You have geoeconomic impacts. You have a we moving in a very fast pace into multipolar world, and you see how um, the global economy is becoming more fragmented. It makes it very difficult. So you need you need very professional um, investment let's say, advice for serving the whole customer base. And and, and that's one part of it. There, there are obviously various players in the market, how you can consume such services. I believe that that will become more common um, for almost every segment. One area I see wealth as a service helping is expanding the reach of advisors into other areas where they wouldn't have access. So especially with apps, Different, different apps that have a customer basis or employee basis, like Uber, for example, they provide a lot of services to their drivers. They rent the cars, they even sell them cars, lease them cars, provide them insurance. Why not offer them a retirement plan through an advisory firm and manage their retirement mm -hmm. through the app? You know, you can take a deduction to the 401k or, for, or, or other plans or other apps that have can offer these types of services to their communities, to their employees, to their um, customers say, well, you know, if you want to retire, you want to open an account, savings account even, or just something simple, a budgeting account. There's, there's lots of options. Do you, do you see that as something that's a viable option where you are? Uh, absolutely. I see that especially um, as a large potential in the fast growing Asian economies. 
So you, you basically now financial inclusion is getting much better. You get the basic banking services. The middle class is growing. They have um, yearly annual growth of the GDPs of five, six, sometimes seven percent. Even now, even though China is a bit lower, but just uh, looking at the Philippines, they still have strong growth, even though the pressure is also there in terms of inflation, higher energy prices, food, etc. But to embed such services like Acorn style, I was just talking with one startup entrepreneur this morning about this, and we probably, hopefully can work together, can help um, provide some advice for his startup. And I see that they're moving upwards into where you need financial literacy as well, which you can also consume from independent platforms. So there's, for this, what is more embedded services, you will need uh, to have proper platforms which can integrate that via APIs or um, just that it's technologically easy to consume and build a customer experience uh, around these services. So I see there's a lot of potential for wealth as a service for vendors, for consumers, and also for the intermediaries providing these services. And of course, one, one area which is probably important to mention, Switzerland is a home of like 25% of private wealth globally. So Swiss uh, financial institutions, wealth management, manage about 25% of global private wealth. And uh, in the last a few years ago, the open wealth, like an analogy to open banking, we have now the open wealth APIs available. So you can share data, portfolio data, transactional data, customer data for KYC, etc., which I think will be important to scale up such services, aggregator services, advisory services, which we were talking about uh, just before. I think the wealth as a service will also help drive uh, the first Western-based super app like WeChat. So once we, once you can build in wealth as a service into the application, especially payments applications that, that, that combine those, then you'll you'll you may see more of a, a probability of a, a WeChat like super app taking hold here because I think WeChat in 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 China is one of the biggest banks by assets just from Absolutely. cash flows so money that people put into their WeChat app to pay something they they have to prepay or, or load their cards with money that they, I think it was north of a hundred billion dollars in um, in assets and they were putting that into they were sweeping that into an interest bearing account. For their customers, which is which is great, so that's something they couldn't do themselves. So they had cash lying around. Uh, now you can just load it into the app, have it into an interest-bearing account, but also have it available immediately for use to to pay your laundry or your dry cleaning or pay for a restaurant, whatever you need. So having that ability in some of these apps, I think, would help. And Starbucks is one of the U.S.'s biggest banks, just on their cash float from their their um, their app. Yeah, absolutely. The but super apps really, there's a reason why they come from Asia, starting with China, Southeast Asia. Um, same what you said about WeChat is now happening with Gcash in the Philippines, um, where you can also have uh, the cash balance um, being invested, getting an interest rate out. But I think in the Western world, in the advanced economies, I, I, I don't think that the super app going across your whole life needs will become a reality. I think it will be more vertical, 
more siloed. So that's where I think because of the complexity um, of your financial situation and the need for advice, you will that will be more integrated. That will come from new players. You might you might definitely get it from banks as well, uh, from incumbents, but they still have a customer base in the legacy culture, which often makes it difficult for them to go into this direction. But for new players, there are big opportunities. But when you talk about Starbucks, you're not you're not going to have a large portion of savings in, in the Starbucks wallet or whatever it is, uh, in, whether it's in the States or in Europe. I mean, here, I think in Europe, it's not that widely used. But we'll see more of such super app um, strategies um, trying to gain ground, yes, with startups coming into the market. Erz, we have run out of time and you've said it all. Can you please tell everyone where they can find more information uh, about you? If they want to learn, meet you, they want to interact with you, where can they, where can they go? Um, surely where I'm most active um, is on Twitter. Again, it's Urspolt at Urspolt. If you type in my name, uh, Urspolt, into Google, you immediately find any of the social media profile or you find my link tree um, or LinkedIn. Very easy to reach me with my combination of URS, Bolt, like the Sprinter. So this combination is very rare in the world. I'm lucky with that name combination. My first name is a real Swiss name and not very common any longer. So I'm happy to get in touch with me and ask me whatever you feel like. If I don't know it myself, um, I can certainly find you the expert who can also answer the question. You've always been gracious about that on, on Twitter, I find. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for being on the programmers. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Craig, for having me on again. Hey, it's Craig again. And here are my top three takeaways from this episode. We covered uh, Urza's article, Predictions for the Wealth Management Sector in 2023. You can find the text of that article on morethandigital.info.info. Three things we, we reviewed, the rise of alternative asset classes in private markets. Uh, these are really growing fast. Uh, we've seen them go from 50% uh, of some portfolios to even higher. Most are, are high, ultra high net worth individuals, uh, over $30 million, had always allocated a large percentage of their portfolios to alternative assets and high net worth types of products. But now we're seeing with these different tools and technologies, that's being pushed down because of the capabilities of these tools that make the markets more transparent and more apt to be uh, purchased by maybe uh, investors that still are, are well off, but a little bit uh, further down on the asset chain. These alternative investments include things like artwork and collectibles, commodities and derivatives, hedge funds, private equity and venture capital, real estate, even wine. And a number of marketplaces for these kinds of assets have launched in the U.S. One of who, one of them, which I want to point out, you should check them out, is Halo Investing. That's H-A-L-O investing.com. And they built an online marketplace where advisors can research, analyze, and compare, and also purchase alternative assets like structured notes, buffered ETFs, and annuities. Number two, new investment strategies and mass personalization supported by artificial intelligence. If you follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, I've been writing a bit about ChatGPT, 
which is all the rage, one of the fastest applications ever to reach 100 million users, I think in less than a month. And while this is not something for advisors to necessarily worry about, although they do, it does give some pretty good answers when you ask the, uh, the AI, well, where should I invest and how should I retire? It's pretty sensible. Uh, what it's going to do is the same thing that robo-advisors have done is it's taking the low-hanging fruit, taking the easy answers, the easy way, uh, like robo-advisors uh, made the ability to offer baskets of ETFs uh, for a very low cost, where some advisors were doing that for 100 or more basis points. The same with chat GPT, if it takes off, if more um, investors are, are talking to an AI, whether it's chat GPT or some others, and saying, where should I invest? How should I retire? What should I do for my retirement? What types of things should I be, be focused on? And it gives them reasonable answers. That just requires advisors to move further up the value chain, offering more personalized services, offering more varied services, offering more holistic services, such as insurance, alternative investments, uh, be more of a life, a financial life coach, rather than just managing assets, be more focused on financial planning and long-term care, um, college planning, look on the FinTech, uh, the AdvisorTech Keatsis Ezra Group map under specialized planning, and you can see how that's exploding. There are more advisors realizing they need to offer more value to clients, or else whether it's ChatGPT or another technology is going to start chipping away at what they thought their bedrock core services were. And number three, outsourcing wealth as a service. And as we discussed, soon there's going to be a U.S. super app. I don't know when, I would imagine soon, and it's going to combine services like Amazon, Uber, DoorDash, Tinder, and PayPal. And all these are going to be wrapped into one gigantic app, and they're going to get tremendous amounts of users who are, are staying in that app for a long time, and then they're going to want wealth services, either whether it's just um, uh, saving money, uh, budgeting, uh, or, or planning for a trip, or uh, once these super apps uh, get your, your cash, usually it sits there for a while. People will load up uh, their cards when they're going to spend money in different areas. That money just sits. You can roll that uh, into a, a, a some sort of investment account and offer other services. So these whatever that super app comes along, or even these individual apps could use a wealth management as a service capability to offer their users or their, their employees or their consultants um, these a wealth management service, whether it's uh, expenses or retirement savings. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, updates, analysis, information. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening again and talk to you all again next time. <music>